There are nine, um, I don't know what you describe that really, characteristics, words, flavours even, which we describe as fruits. Careful reading will show us, of course, that it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's singular, not plural. And I guess we've all uh, cottoned on that what we're reading here is uh, a metaphor. What Paul is saying here really is that the evidence of the Spirit in our lives, a Spirit-filled person, a Spirit-filled life, demonstrates these uh, attributes, these uh, fruits, as opposed to a life taken up with the interest and pursuits of the world around them. The Galatians, they were the inhabitants of a Roman province in what we would now think of as central Turkey. And uh, my purpose this morning is to give you a sort of background around this verse with the fruit of the Spirit in it, so that in future Sundays when our (coughs) visiting preachers come and uh, expand on each of those fruits, we have the background. Um, But I did find it a bit difficult to restrain myself. But thankfully, um, I'm also going to try and uh, look at the first fruit this morning, which is love. So I hope you've seen the connection, some of the songs that we have sung. So these uh, Galatians were the inhabitants of a Roman uh, province. And we see in chapter 1 that Paul needs to write to them because as with all these uh, early churches, you know, it wasn't plain sailing. There were some problems uh, and difficulties that arose. And in this case, it was really quite a serious situation. So in in chapter 1, Paul writes, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. (coughs) Which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now these are strong words because what was going on here was that the Jewish Christians amongst the Galatians were teaching them that they needed to add the customs and the practices of the Old Testament law such as circumcision and so on to be a complete Christian. That they they hadn't they got part of the story but not the whole story, and of course that was completely wrong. They were teaching them really that God's grace wasn't sufficient, and Paul has to write to them to set them straight, to put them back on track, as it were. And we have to be careful because. Well, I don't know about you, but I believe that we have a Bible today 
And a good chunk of it is made up of these letters written to churches who had problems and the letters were written to put the problems right, to set them back on track and to explain to them what being a Christian was all about, what being a church was all about. And I believe that these things are relevant today. And we have to be careful today that we don't get so caught up in the traditions and the customs and the way we do things or even the way we would like things to be done and so on that we lose sight of the fact that we are the children of God. We're the object of God's love. We are here this morning because of God's grace because God has looked upon us and has taken us in hand regardless of who or what we are, who or what we've done. And there's none of us has got anything to boast about but our God's grace and his son, Jesus. And so Paul is trying to get them back, a way to remind them that that's what drew them to the Lord in the first place, was his love for them, his death for them. And uh, so he, he works through Galatians, uh, putting them right. And um, we get to chapter 5, and uh, he's trying to tell them that following the Lord is a kind of a slavery. And they would understand that. In their culture, they would understand what it was to be enslaved. Some of them, undoubtedly, were slaves. If you, you, know, you, you get that from... Uh, other epistles where it's clear that in the Christian church there were all sorts of people. In Ephesians, for example, Paul writes to slaves and to, and, and to masters. And the little book I love, Philemon, is all about a slave. So, you know, they knew what it was to be a slave. They knew what slavery was all about. Basically, you, did, you belonged to somebody. You couldn't choose what to do, when to do it, how to do it so on and so forth. And so Paul is saying to them, look, God made you free. Through Jesus, he made you free from the bondage of sin. He gave you a new life, a new direction. But what have you done? You've put all that aside and you've taken on another kind of slavery, obeying the law. And so he's He's trying to say to them, well, look, you know, you're free. You don't need all that. But then, of course, he has to say to them, be careful. Being free doesn't mean you're free to do as you please. Because as with everything, comes responsibility. And if you are a child of God, then you need to behave as a child of God. Your life needs to reflect that. And so, you see, when we speak of the grace of God, and we often do in this church, I've noticed that, and I think that's great. But we must be careful that we're not saying, well, you know, yes, I've been forgiven, I've been saved, and really, that's great, isn't it? And I'll be really happy and rejoiced in that, but it doesn't bring any responsibility. There's nothing I have to do. It doesn't require any effort on my part, I can just kind of fall into things and go with the flow. 
dare I say it, go with the spiritual flow? No, doesn't mean that at all, does it? Our Christian life is something we have to work at. It's a labor that God has given us. And so he's pointing out to them that they're not enslaved by having to uh, follow the Lord and all that goes with that, but they do belong to him. They do belong to God. And um, so this grace we speak of is not a soft option. You know, it's about living for God. It's about doing the difficult things sometimes. It's about making the difficult decisions sometimes. It's about um, enduring uh, hardships sometimes. It's about sometimes accepting things that we'd rather not accept. And with the grace of God, dealing with that. And so, he has to say to them, you're not free to just behave as you like. And then, so then we get this lovely, I use the word lovely, but of course the language is incredibly graphic and not particularly lovely. But we have this contrast, don't we, between uh, the world, or in the, in the authorised version it describes as the flesh. I love that. It's another one of those words that rolls off the tongue. It's a really good preacher word, isn't it? The way of all flesh. I can remember um, uh, when I first uh, started going out with Jill. And um, we used to have a busy Sunday. uh, And um, in between Sunday school in the afternoon where we, um, we were young teachers and the what we called the gospel meeting in the 6.30 in the evening, tea would be squeezed in. And uh, I would often go to Jill's uh, mum and dad for uh, tea. And sadly, we often used to have cold cuts of Christian for tea, you know. Um, one or another would come in for some stick about uh, what they'd done or a particular church. And it was the first place where I'd heard the expression, they'd gone the way of all flesh. And I wasn't quite sure what it was as I tucked into me a piece of cold ham. But uh, I did come to understand what they meant. Um, I'm not sure it was a good thing, really, to um, have that kind of critical spirit. But, um, you know, there, there is a world that we live in that we're not part of. It has desires, interests, uh, concerns, pursuits. That didn't ought to be ours. What marks us out is that we've turned our back on those things. What marks us out is we speak against those things. Which in this day and age is not an easy thing to do, is it? Because you get branded a a bigot or whatever it is. So Paul makes it clear that um, there are sort of two worlds and... um, We're engaged in this spiritual battle in order that um, we might live the lives that are pleasing God. Think back to our previous study last year in Ephesians 6 and the armour of God. That's how we're meant to equip ourselves to deal with these things. In Romans chapter 8, Paul describes it very personally. He says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good... Evil is right here with me, for in my inner being I delight in God's law. 
But I see another Lord at work in me, waging war against the Lord of my mind and making me a prisoner of the Lord of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, we have a a saviour. He saves us. And he keeps us from the power of sin. He does that because when he left this world, he left the Holy Spirit to fill us, to fill our lives. But you know, we have to give him room and place to work. And if our lives are filled up and occupied with the things that we um, read here in these chapters, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality and so on, verse 19 then there's no room for him to work. And, and what people will see and what we will experience will be a life that demonstrates that and is coloured by that. Whereas Paul then puts that, uh, the contrast, doesn't he? The little word, but, that means so much. But the fruit of the Spirit is this. But the fruit of the Spirit are these things. So if God is at work in our lives, it will be evident. But it's not evident because by some um, chance or because we've gone to church often enough or uh, read our uh, Bible often enough that we, we sort of become immersed in it. Although it's a good thing to be immersed in the scriptures and the things of God. But it's because we choose it, because we seek it, we look for it. That's how we want to be. So we have this contrast between, um, as I said in the authorizer talks about the acts of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And um, this is what God desires for us. This is, to put it very simply, how we ought to be. And uh, this chapter gives us a, re- uh, a big hint about kind of what was going wrong, really, as a consequence of this conflict between those who wanted to follow the old law, as it were, uh, and others. And so... Um, the beginning of our reading, you remember, we read uh, these words. Rather serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. You see, this is the context in which we're looking at this. Here was disunity. Here was trouble and strife, as it were. And what was the answer? Well, the answer was love. The answer was the fruit of the Spirit. The answer was to live by the Spirit, because that will um, enable you uh, not to get embroiled in these things. So when we come to the conclusion of our reading, uh, 
verses 23 to 26, we read, against such things there is no law. So, this is, this um, fruit, this way of living answers all the law. The Christian demonstrating these characteristics has no need of rules or regulations to keep him on track because by his very nature, that's where he is. He's uh, so obviously uh, a child of God. And then in verse uh, 24, here we've got a picture not simply of turning away from sinful pursuits, but actually of acknowledging them and nailing them to the cross of Christ. You know, this isn't just poetry, although it it is lovely poetry, isn't it? Of course it is, and it thrills us to read it. But, you know, in order to nail your sins to the cross, you have to recognize them. That's what this verse is about. It's about recognizing the the real us. And I, I can't speak for any of uh, of you, and and you and you and you know me well enough that um, there always seems to come a time when one has to make a personal reference, and uh, I don't apologise for that because you know there are two people that really know me, the Lord and me. There's someone else who knows me quite well, and I love her dearly, but. You know, sometimes I think I defeat her even. But the Lord knows. He knows really what goes on uh, in here. And that's what we, each one of us needs to do, is to acknowledge the person we are and nail those things, the things that keep us from, from God, a conscious rejection of and turning away from sin. And then, just to conclude this, this little bit, I want to share some Bible salad with you. The um, verse says, let us, get it? It's there. Let us be led by the Spirit. In other words, let the Spirit of God influence our very lives, our day-to-day, moment-by-moment lives. Now, as uh, the preacher, there are things that are easy to say and there are things that are not so easy to say. And, you know, sometimes we ask of ourselves, or the preacher asks of the congregation, a great deal. And the challenge to him is, well, how can you ask that of them if you're not asking it of you? Well, of course, I do have to ask it of myself, don't I? But here in these verses, it makes it quite clear that what motivates us, what um, causes our actions and reactions, what interests us, what inspires us, is the Holy Spirit of God, or ought to be the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to talk about, let us not become conceited about ourselves, or envious of others. You see, he was really drilling down to the Problems these people had. They were too busy looking at each other. Later on, we're going to go to the Corinthians. And they were the same, weren't they? It was, you know, they were just so occupied about who had a better gift than the other one. Or, 
you know, who was more important than the other, and so on and so forth, that they lost sight of what really mattered, what really counted. We're all, each and every one of us, sinners saved by grace. The only thing we have to boast about is that God loves us. His son Jesus died for us and the Holy Spirit lives in us to lead us, to guide us and to empower us. Dare I say, there are no special Christians. There are no super Christians. We're all Christians. Well, I I hope we are this morning. I have to be careful. Perhaps there's someone to whom I'm speaking this morning and this is a kind of foreign language. And... um, You like church and you like the Bible and you like the hymns and so on and so forth. But do you know Jesus? Well, there's a challenge for you this morning. And I would urge you not to let the time pass without responding to that. So ultimately, what we have read is about relationships. Our relationship with our Father, with our Saviour and with the Holy Spirit that we give him place and space in our lives and our relationship with each other in that if that's what happens that relationship will be something wonderful something good and what will it be marked out by by love above all by love that's what our passage began with and that's where we're going to move to in a moment but Debs is going to bring us another reading and then no we're going to watch a YouTube first, then Debs is going to bring us another reading. We're looking at this first flavour or fruit, that of love. Why did I choose this passage? If um, you think about it, there are countless passages on the subject of love. If you, I know lots of you would have today, if you've got some kind of Bible app, on your computer or something and put in love in the search part you will find 1,413 references the majority of them in the Old Testament um, but that's because of the size of the Testament and things like the Psalms and so on but um, it's a vast subject and um, In the uh, Bible, there are lots of passages that uh, deal with love. In in Matthew's Sermon on the Mount and so on, see love there. In the writings of John, particularly, love is uh, expounded there. Well, those of you who know me know I can be a bit of a sort of funny character sometimes. And I chose this passage for the simple reason that it is so well known. Read so often at weddings and the like. But the problem I find with that is, not that it shouldn't be read at weddings, don't misunderstand me, but it's often read as a piece of poetry. It's often read with a degree of sentimentality but actually if we look at this closely there's a real uh, challenge here regarding the nature of our Christian faith 
Once again, Paul was addressing problems in the church. And before he uh, leads into this uh, description of love, he makes it um, quite clear that whoever or whatever we might be, whatever gifts you might have without love, it all amounts to nothing. Um, The end of the previous chapter begins, and now I will show you the most excellent way. This really is the nub of it. The problem, of course, is that some people have used love as a get-out clause. So they say, well, it's all about love. And God's requirement that we should turn to him in repentance is forgotten. Because, well, God loves us. So our sin doesn't matter. Now, if that was true, why ever did Jesus die? We have to get things right. Sometimes we can love the truth more than love. But other times we can love to the detriment of truth. We have to be careful. There's a balance here. But love is the prerequisite. After all, God is love. We sang that this morning. We had that lovely illustration uh, with the children. And it's God's love that sent his son. For God so loved the world. And so yes, we give love its preeminent place in Christian teaching. And in our lives and as a characteristic of Christians. But it doesn't sort of excuse us. And and it's not a soft option. It's not the easy, oh, well, let's all love. You know, I mean, some of us, as I look around, are old enough to remember, you know, the flower power and the love movement and all that. And... um, It all seemed very wonderful at the time and quite harmless, but of course it actually it it wasn't. There was a you know a drug culture and all sorts of stuff that went with it that did an incredible amount of uh, damage. Anyway, that's 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 an aside. So once again, Paul was addressing a problem in the church about you know people's relationships and so on, and he he turns them uh, to love as the the ultimate answer. But you know, what kind of a love is it? I'm not going to comment uh, this morning on verses 4 to 7. Because those of you who are observant will realize that Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit, and 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7, say the same kind of thing. This is the kind of person we, above all, ought to be. And as the weeks go by, we will, we will see these different characteristics brought out. But they can all be summed up as love. A genuine desire to do good to others, to reach out to others, to live your life regardless of self, All for someone else. That's love, isn't it? And that's what Paul 
describes here. So, I just want to introduce this to us this morning as love being the starting point, but really, it describes the whole thing, the whole fruit. I had a thought this morning as I was... um, you know, getting ready to come out this morning. Do you know, this is a fruit, isn't it? It's not a potato or a, a turnip or a parsnip or a carrot. Because that's in the ground, isn't it? can't be seen. But it's a fruit. The tree, the bush, whatever, the evidence of, of life there, that it's useful for something, is that there's blossom followed by fruit. Just an aside. Do you like a little quote? Here's a quote. Make me sound intellectual. This is a quote from Jonathan Swift. Remember Jonathan Swift, Gulliver's Travels, and he was a sort of 19th century um, satirist, wasn't he, really? Uh, a great sort of commenter, commentator on you know, the time in which he lived. And he says this, We have just enough religion to make us hate, but not enough to make us love one another. is that awful? But doesn't it strike a chord? Even the day and age in which we live. How often is religion the cause of hate? Of course, he was talking about religion. We're talking about being a follower of Jesus. Not the same thing. Not the same thing. A bit cynical, but it makes you think, does it not? So we have come to this... um, This uh, love that we are asked to, what are we asked to do really? Well, we're asked to be loving, aren't we? We're asked to demonstrate this love. It's suggested, well no, it's not. We're told, aren't we, here in these scriptures, that this love, well that's the best thing. If you have nothing else but this, you have everything we should desire to be loving more than any other gift that we might possess to be loving more than any other kind of person we might want to be and not simply you know being able to say to people I love you and experience a warm glow but to work at it to want to be Patient and kind and so on. It isn't just something that we see in others. It's something we should see in each other. As a church, that should describe us. Amongst our uh, Christian friends, that should describe us. Why? Because it answers all the problems that we encounter in our lives. The problems of um, uh, personality and envy, as Paul refers to here. The, the problems that our human nature creates, the flaws in our character. Peter writes, above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. As Christians, we're looking forward to an eternity with our Saviour. There in heaven. And in this uh, chapter, Paul does that as well. And he sort of says, well, you know, we're living now at a time where it's, it's kind of murky. 
you know, we sort of partly understand it, but there are parts we don't understand and we experience God. But you know, there's coming a day when it will all be revealed. A mother recognises a cry. There comes a day when it will all be revealed. And we'll be there with him in eternity. And all the other things, well, they're just going to not matter anymore. But Paul tells us that there, way in eternity, one thing will remain. And what's that? That's really uh, tremendous. For me, it puts it in perspective as just how important this aspect of our Christian character is. It should just describe us. You know, like people often say about this, people being like a stick of rock, you know, if you, if you cut him, it's got arsenal all the way through it or something or, or whatever it might be. But for us, if you cut us, it should be love all the way through us. So in the coming weeks, leading on from love, we're going to be looking at those other gifts. But I hope it's inspired us this morning to seek to be people who are loving, empowered by God's Holy Spirit to demonstrate love. What a way uh, to begin the new year.